0: Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you. And that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to just call us at the office 503-224-6200. And we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back. It's Friday. It's 11 o'clock. You guys know what time we do this, or at least we try to do this. We're a little late, nine minutes late. Cut us some slack. Anyway, we're back this week. We've got a great guest. I've got my wonderful co host. So without further ado, welcome, guys. Good to see you again.
1: Hey, Hey, everybody. Welcome. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Uh, Forgive us for being a couple minutes late. We were, we were, uh, jawing a little bit before we got went on with uh with our guest let me introduce him jeff wyron welcome jeff let me let me tell you guys a little bit about jeff he's in my eyes anyways He's 10 feet tall bulletproof <laughs> no he's a he's a great guy excellent reputation throughout the industry he's i've known him i've known of jeff for years but i've, I've really known him for about i want to say four years now jeff you've been at pg yeah and um, he, he was brought in for a leadership position, and he's just blossomed in that. He's now the president of, of Premier Property Group, works closely with our CEO, Kelly Ock, um, in, in running the company. He's also very involved outside of our company. Um, if there's a committee out there that represents our industry, there's a high likelihood Jeff has been on it at one point or another. He's actually in line to be the... Um, president of the Organization of Realtors, OAR. Now it's kind of funny to me. I have to, I'm gonna, I, I kind of brought this up to Jeff the other day when we were chatting about the show. I was like, okay, so let me get this straight. The president of the United States is inaugurated or is elected in November and becomes president in January. But OAR is what, two years in advance? <laughs> um, so yeah. next year I think is Drew Coleman and then you're in line the year after that. So I, I think that's a little interesting. But he's also been a chair of the forms committee Um, The REF forms committee. He's been on RMLS boards. You're currently on the board for RMLS Um, and we could go on and on. And there's, you know, we could rattle off two pages full of things he's done, but our overriding theme. And thank you for, for taking the time, Jeff, out of our busy schedule. I should also mention Jeff sells a lot of homes too. In the last six, seven months, we've had almost two transactions. You had one listing we, we closed on, my team personally, and just recently you made an offer on one of my listings. I mean, so Jeff is out there as well as a busy, in addition to all this that he does. So um, to use Tucker's expression that I, that I so fondly love, um, Jeff's as busy as a one-legged, uh, Person in a butt kicking contest, right? Isn't that what you say, Tucker? <laughs> That'd
0: be the PC version, yes. So uh, yeah. we'll keep it. So he's a busy friendly.
1: guy, and we appreciate him making some time. We want to talk about serving our industry and and being a part of the solutions and not of the problems. We know there are always going to be improvements necessary in our business, and you know we find that oftentimes, and you know, Masters is a is a is a great forum for talking about them, but. But we want to be solution-based in and, um, and, and addressing those. And not just, here's the problem, here's the problem. And, and you know, ranting about the problem, as Joe so uh, frequently says, don't not to do on masters. So Jeff's going to talk to us about how to, how to be part of the solution and, and getting it involved in doing so. So welcome, Jeff.
2: Thank you. Hey, I really appreciate the opportunity. This is a great format um, and a great forum. So thank you for inviting me to, to join you guys today.
0: Hey, before we get into it, I'm real curious. So you get elected two years in advance before you're actually the president? That's, yeah. That's pretty wild. So I had...
2: right now I am president elect, elect of the Oregon Association <laughs> of Realtors, which, which means I'll be president elect next year in 2021 and then president in 2022. And as I was telling Steve, I know that sounds crazy, but the Oregon Association of Realtors, the board of directors has over 120 members and represents every real estate association obviously local association in the state and they meet twice a year so you know you, you kind of have to have a little bit of lead time if if you want to have a position to be able to run on that position and have people actually know what the heck you plan to do as president
1: you, you need the lead time so <laughs> you know, seems crazy but it, but it is what it is does that mean you play an elevated role next year as you're prepping to be the president jeff
2: yeah, the honest truth is, you know, uh, and I'm the past president for uh, Portland Metropolitan Association of Realtors as well. I was president in 2010 and 2011 for PMAR. And in my experience in that role and what I've seen so far in this role is the heavy lifting as the president of, of an association and where most of your agenda actually uh, comes to fruition is as your term as president elect. That's where you do most of the work of what are we going to do, you know, what influence do I want to have, what things are important to to, to to the leadership that I'd like to bring to the table for the association, all of that heavy lifting really happens in your year as president-elect. And then the year that you're president, it's really just a matter of executing that with your executive committee and doing doing the, the back-end work. Interesting. But all the planning and all of the, you know,
1: politics,
2: and all of that happens the year that you're president-elect,
1: from my experience. That's a lot of sense, yeah. 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 Cool. Well, tell us a little bit about what is your vision. What are the what are the objectives? I mean, do, and educate us because I'm I'm not really in the know, and I'm sure Tucker and maybe Joe is. But I mean, do you, you do you run a campaign in your campaign? Do you go hey, if you guys elect me? Here's what I will do, and, and how does that work? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Uh, it's
2: very interesting. It's not it, you know, but. I want to preface this by saying that when you are the, the president of a, a real estate association, whether it's the state association, a large local association, or even the national association, uh, the, the best analogy that I could give you is the association itself is like a train that's already on the, the track and it's going in a certain direction, right? You You're stepping in to a legacy of people who have shaped what the organization has become over the over the years of its existence and you have a staff that executes and is and is the daily you know mission that they're running with every day of the month every day of the week and and year and they're continuing to, to to ride that train on the track so as the president of an association you get to step in to a leadership role for, for something that already has a vision, for something that already has momentum and is going a certain direction. You get to influence that for sure, but you're not going to take the train off the track and, you know, start a whole new deal. That's, that's mm-hmm. not your role as, as the leader of an organization like a, a local uh, or state or national association of realtors. So that's the first and foremost thing is to recognize your role as president isn't to come in and transform everything and change everything and completely take a different direction. It's to respect and, and understand the mission and the vision of the association and the organization as it is, and to find what you can do with your skills to help improve it, and, and, and to make that train run a little more efficiently, to make that train run a little faster, or, or whatever, you know, you want to say to complete that analogy. So, you know, my vision is as incoming president-elect for the Oregon Association of Realtors, um, you do a little campaigning. um, In the local associations, you really don't do too much campaigning. It's a smaller board of directors. Um, Usually, in my experience, a lot of times the president-elect is an uncontested race. Sometimes there's multiple people that want the role, but a lot of times with your experience in the association, it's kind of the natural, well, you're kind of the person who seems to be taking an interest in doing this right now. And you, you know, you, you've got a vision and we want you to exercise that. That's how I think a lot of local association presidents get elected. Um, I did run uh, for state president against two, two great candidates, Adam Schwind, who uh, works over in Lincoln County on the coast. He's, he's, uh, he's,
1: he's active in masters. I've seen him.
2: Yeah. Adam Adam's a great guy. It's funny. I've known Adam for many years. He was actually the choir director at my church long before either of us ever were in real estate. So Adam's um, a great guy. And he and I have a good friendship and a long lasting relationship long before real estate. And then Jessica Tindell from um, PMAR as well ran for president this year. So it was a, it was a pleasure to run in an in a election where there was actually three, I felt, really good candidates. In, any of us that had won would, would have done an excellent job. So I'm honored to, to have been elected. But I think Adam or Jessica would have done a fabulous job as president of the association had they been elected as well and would have absolutely, you know, been supportive of them. So um, you do campaign. For me, it was a little bit limited. You know, I, I'm a more boots on the ground kind of person. I'm not necessarily... Uh, I don't necessarily seek politics and I don't necessarily want to be involved because I care about the political side of it. I care about doing something. And so uh, my campaigning looked like picking up the phone and calling everybody on the board of directors and saying, here's why I'm running. Here's what's important to me. And I hope to have your support. And if you don't believe in what I'm doing, and if you can't support what I'm what my vision is, I understand that. And I'm not the right guy for you to vote for. Right. But I hope that I am. Um, and so that was essentially my campaign. And I sent out a few emails, and I followed those up with with personal phone calls to everybody on the board of directors, just talking about my vision. What were those uh, things you you said on those yeah.
1: calls? On so those so
2: my vision, you know, is um, three three big things that I think I can have some influence on from my experience. First is um, in the forms company and on the forms committee, opening up the forms committee uh, to multiple people throughout the state of Oregon, right? So right now you have three owner associations of the forms company, the Portland Metropolitan Board, the Eugene Association of Realtors and the Oregon Association of Realtors are the three owner partners of the forms company. And as a result, each of them gets to appoint three people to serve on the forms committee. So you have a heavy influence on the forms from PMAR, you have a heavy influence from Eugene. And then if you want to have influence from somebody at the coast or Baker County or Rogue Valley or any of the other areas around the state, those appointments have to come from OAR. But it's very possible that OAR, for example, might take me as a PMAR member and say, Jeff, even though you're PMAR and PMAR is already appointing three other people, we want you to be on the forms committee because You know, we think you have the experience that we need in that role. So you have a real limitation on being able to get input from non-owner associations from around the state. So, for example, if you're creating a wood stove addendum or if you're revising the septic addendum and you're getting input from a bunch of people who sell in urban areas where they don't sell many properties that have septic tanks or wood stoves, but you're not hearing any input from the people on the coast, who have you know a lot of homes are heated by wood stove you would want that input in that mm-hmm. form and and there might be some ways to make that form better more functional and 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 more spot on for the use of multiple realtors from around the state so i'm big on saying let's find a way to open that up let's find a way to work with the owner partners of the forms company to to take that limitation away and say look we want input from everybody around the state on On the creation of any new forms, on the revision of any existing forms, because that's important. Everybody from around the state uses the form. We want everybody to be able to have some input on it. So that was a big component uh, for me. The next big thing is education and training. And as you know, Steve, I do a lot of education and training within our industry and specifically within our company. I'm passionate about it. I really like doing it and I like bringing education and training that's sticky that people will remember and that actually will help them be more efficient and more effective in their business. I believe that OAR does a great job with their education and training. One of the things that they started doing last year um, was an economic, a regional economic summit, and uh, industry summit, and I don't know if, I think, Steve, I think you did participate in the that. The one in Salem? Yeah, yeah, the one yeah, in Salem. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, so one of the things that I would like to see is to have that done regionally in key regions around the state, take that show on the road. It was fantastic. As a realtor, I benefited greatly from participating in it. I would like to see that go regional and have training more specific to regionally around the state. That's viable you know, talking with, if you, if you work in Baker County, you don't care what the heck the economics are in Portland, Oregon, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. You do care Mm -hmm. a lot about what's going on in Burns Mm -hmm. and need to have a regional summit, um, we need to make that more regional. So working with our, our excellent education and training department at OAR to enhance that and improve that and offer that. Mm -hmm. And, and then the last big thing, I mean, any, any real estate association is, um, by the, by the natural order, a political entity, We, we can't help it. Right. I mean, we, you know, as realtors, we are involved in political realities. We deal with politics, um you know the the national association to every local you know the the founding principle of our code of ethics is you know upon all upon all is all, is the land and, and its highest and best use is what we're all about right so promoting and protecting private property ownership rights uh promoting and protecting policies that protect the ability for us as independent contractors to maintain our business and to run a viable business and to serve the public um, there's politics involved in that, you can't help but be. So, you know, every local and state association has a governmental affairs department. Um, and, I, you know, I've heard, I'm not making this up. We're the realtor party, right? That's been embedded in me. I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. I, I personally am a registered independent, but I'm a member of the realtor party. And what that means is, I might interface with people who politically I don't agree with on lots of things socially, But on private property rights and on business affairs that matter to us as realtors, they're supportive. And so we're going to be supportive of them and we're going to work with them. One of the things that I think we need to do um, a better job in at the state level, and not to discount at all the work of those people in the past and, and the current people working in those fields, we've got great people. You know, I talk about Sean Jillian's, um, you know, our, our governmental affairs director that we have now, Sean is not, he's a lobbyist for us, but he does a great job. Jenny Pakula, who's our executive officer there, they do a phenomenal work. But I think there's a per- perception that um, as a realtor party, we tend to lean a little more right than left. And I would really like to work to eliminate that perception completely and say, listen, we have a, new- a neutral base here. And our goal is to work with politicians of, of, of every ilk and every party to promote first and foremost private pop- property right interests and secondly you know realtor interest in being able to run t- uh, retain our business run our business and serve the public so those
1: are the three big things that i think that's great by the way i think that's great yeah and that was something i remember when we talked to mel george that was one thing i appreciated in that conversation is there might be a, a, a realtor or a, a politician on the left that's promoting housing and there might be one on the right. And, and, and as a party we're supporting both. It, it's not about the, like you said, we're the realtor party. I mean, our greatest impact in our lives as professional real estate people is going to come from decisions that affect that. So it's better to have somebody in a, in a party. And I'm like you, Jeff, I'm pretty independent. I mean, I don't get super in the middle on either side. Um, which is pretty refreshing these days, <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but, um, there are people on both sides that are very dug in and it, it just helping educate them that, Hey, you know what, you might get somebody on your side that hates what we do and, and, and vice versa. And, and so it's really important to promote those who are, um, you know, on, on the side of, of housing and, and real estate and what, what makes our worlds so,
2: so important. Well, one of the things that I would add to that, Steve is, you know, when you get involved in your associations, you get a unique opportunity to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit in regards to the political process. I mean, I would encourage everybody that's listening to this, the Oregon Association of Realtors every other year does a a day at the Capitol. And there's usually, you know, hundreds of realtors, we crowd, we have a big tent outside of the Capitol building where we're stationed at for the day, the impact of our lawmakers seeing you know we get like a, a 15 minute to maybe a 30 minute window to meet with all of the different representatives from around the state when you can crowd their office and have standing room only because there's 30 40 50 realtors that are passionate about our issues and we're sitting there in their office and we're hitting those talking points they listen and and it has an impact for them to see when they pull up into their office and they see this big tent across the street with hundreds or thousands of people Who are concerned about what we're talking about? That has an impact. I would encourage everybody that's listening to this to look for that on the Oregon Association of Realtors uh, website. Find the next date, pre-mark your calendar, and and plan to attend. But here's the point: you get a kind of you get to pull back the curtain when you're in those meeting rooms. And I'm I'm a federal political uh, coordinator for Suzanne Bonamici. I'm in her district. And um, so when we go to the Mid-Year Convention in Washington DC every year, I get to meet with her, you get to meet with all the congressmen and and, uh, senators and representatives, uh, congressmen and women and, and senators. And I attend all of those that I can, but I'm the one that's directly responsible for that call to Suzanne Bonamici. And here's the thing, I think people are very divided politically. And I wish everybody had the opportunity to do what I've had the opportunity to do and pull back that curtain and see that you might not be a Democrat, you might not be a Republican, but guess what? That Republican Congressman, that, that Democratic Congresswoman is working their tail off and doing what they believe most passionately is the right thing for our country and for our state, right? So you might not like it and you might not agree with it, but don't name call them and think that they're all a bunch of idiots and that you know they don't know what they're doing. They do know what they're doing, and they're doing it for a very specific reason. And I think if you could peel back that curtain, you'd find a, re- a lot of really good people working really hard for a, a common purpose that's to everybody's benefit, regardless of whether they're a Democrat or a Republican.
0: I think that's a good point, Jeff. We're in an era where um, there's a lot of venom, especially online, right? If you're on one side or the other. And the reality is, is to get stuff done, you have to work with people that are on both sides of beliefs, right? And I mean, to be honest, I have friends that are Republicans. I have friends that are Democrats. I have friends apparently that are in the middle. You guys are right here, right? And it doesn't really matter to me on daily interactions where they fall. We may have differences on certain issues, but that doesn't mean you can't get things done with them. Doesn't mean you can't have interactions with them. Doesn't mean you can't have conversations with them. And I think we're in an era where it's like, nope. Not letting you in my bubble because you don't fit in within my box. And I just think that's a really dangerous way to live life. And uh, it's good to hear you say that.
2: Well, you know what? There used to be a thing that was pretty common in our country and in our, and in our state government called statesmanship, right? And, and what that means to me is that you can disagree and still support. And, and, you know, this relating this back to your service, if you do decide to get involved in your local or state association. You know, I would just say, and Steve, I mentioned this to you the other day, you know, what your what your local association and your state and national association don't need are people who don't care but just want to show up for the free breakfast and the and the stamp punch on their resume. We don't need that. We need people who will read the information, who will review the details of what's being proposed to them, who will develop an opinion and be able to eloquently and passionately speak to their position and who will be willing to disagree with their friends, but believe in their position enough that they're willing to vote no when everybody else is voting yes. We need people like that to volunteer. And here's the thing, and I've said it as, a, as a, the local president of PMAR, and I will say it, I'm sure, as, a, as a, the president of our state association, it is okay for me for people to vote yes and people to vote no. The majority rules. And at the end of the day, when we leave the the meeting, whether you voted yes or whether you voted no, it's my expectation that you will support the will of the many, right? You will support the will of the majority, even if you don't agree with it. You got the opportunity to have your peace, you got the opportunity to say what you wanted to say, you voted your conscience, you did the right thing, but the majority of the people that you serve with didn't agree with you. So it's okay to not like it but you will support it that's statesman and if our and if our current elected officials could act in that manner i think our state government and our federal government would be a lot better off
1: yeah to your point tucker um one thing i've noticed that's changed in my lifetime since what you know even when i was younger is it seems like these days everything is political like like literally down to the weather like how oh, how's the weather it's a little warmer this year than last year oh my god and it turns into a political fight or you know ordering a straw at a restaurant becomes political i mean it and you see it all over facebook and and i just encourage people to and, and i'm talking a little different than you I, I, i'm talking you know not in what your role jeff but right. i encourage people to to back away from that a little bit and I think when I was younger, you know, political conversations were like, Hey, what do you think of the president? That was, that became a political conversation. And there was this, there was this, you know, there was this mindset, you know, don't talk religion and politics at the dinner table or, or, you know, with, with, with people. But in this day and age, everything you post on Facebook, somebody has some political spin on it. So now bringing that to what you're saying, Jeff and Tucker, it would be so nice if people on the left or the right, Republican or Democrat, it'd be nice if they said, hey, you know, this is kind of what the Republicans believe, but I really like what the Democrats are believing over there because I think I think that's a great idea, right? And that's where you don't have to be aligned 100%. I, I, that's what's changed is if you're a Republican, you 100% believe the Republicans. If you're a Democrat, you believe 100% of the Democrats and you fight across every every nitpick. And to me, then you've become a mindless drone. Somebody gave you a a set of rules and that's all you do. And to Jeff's point, be have your own opinions on each of those topics and be open to conversations and and the understanding that okay, I I lean this way, but I really like these ideas and not so much these ones. So anyway,
0: you know what if I've I, discovered from this last uh sorry Joe, but real quick. No, go yeah, ahead. This this whole this year, right? 2020, let's say, cuz 2020's been one for the books on many levels, but I have discovered within the group of people that I know, I've been able to audit it pretty quick. There's a small percentage that I like to call critical thinkers, which you're talking about, Steve, right? Where like, maybe, you know, you have your opinion, they have theirs, you've got some mutual ground, maybe you don't have some mutual ground, but you can still get along. But then there's a a thicker group of society that seems to not want to critically think. And I think that i'm saying think a lot but that's a very big missing piece in society today i think you need to critically think yourself a little bit more and uh, i just feel like people don't do that enough so that's a good point and you were making that point steve
1: we got a lot of we got a lot of people that like that
0: that comment by the way just
1: just to put that out there i think it's we need that that this country needs that i i i i posted something um the other day it was i was the, from the movie *Apocalypto*, if anyone's ever not seen that, it's it's a great movie from the mid two thousands. Actually, Mel Gibson directed. It was about the Mayan kingdom, the end of the Mayan kingdom, and what it ultimately showed you. The movie was they when the when the the Europeans came and they the Mayans crumbled. They were already infighting. They had already turned on each other, and every time you go on Facebook, and there there was a a powerful statement that said was written. It was quoted at the beginning. Um, and I'll, I'll just read it here because um, I don't remember. A great civilization, civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. Will Durant, who was a, who was a, a scholar from early the mid-20th uh, century. Um, you see that in politically. I mean, the, the country is tearing itself apart with nobody agreeing with each other. Everybody fighting about every minute detail. Um, it's hard to imagine that that's a that's a country that's going to thrive for you know for centuries moving forward if that is continues. So, you know,
2: um, I I think that it's important <clears throat> to keep in mind too. You know, if if you were to talk to people who were in the prime of their life during the Vietnam War era, their opinions of this might be a little different than ours are. Uh, they they lived in a country that was uh, deeply in turmoil as well, and and uh, I think the reality is it's just more In your face right now, because we have so much more media and and so many more outlets of media where average average people like us can hop on and have a huge voice on Facebook that, you know, 10,000, 20,000 millions of people can see and all of a sudden it goes viral, right? And that didn't exist in the 60s and in the 70s. The other thing I'm going to say is this. I, I think Tucker, you know, respectfully, I'm gonna disagree with what you said a little bit. I, I think Okay,
0: Steve does all the time, apparently <laughs> he was right last week. So yeah. I
2: understand what you're saying, but in my life, my reality that I see is I see a lot of people who are critical thinkers, right? And and I think most people are able to critically think and willing to critically think. And quite frankly, I think they do have an opinion and critically think. I don't think they're just mind numb zombies running around being fed by whatever's coming out them and just going along with it. But that's what we see on the news. What we see publicly displayed is the minority of people who take a polarized opinion one way or the other and seemingly aren't critically thinking. What you don't see on the news, because it doesn't sell papers or get ad clicks, are the people around the four of us around this and all of the people that are watching on Facebook Live right now, every one of whom I'm sure is a critical thinker and has an opinion about what's right for their life and their family, right? That doesn't sell papers. It doesn't get ad clicks. So we don't hear about it. All we hear about is the minority that is polarizing, right? And that's the perspective that
3: I have. And what's possible, something that's possible is, so if you try and be a leader in this community, and I commend you for being the president-elect elect, for OAR, uh, that's quite a responsibility. Way back when at Pmar, they wanted me to be uh, president-elect, and I had ten balls in the air, and everything was on fire. And and anyway, it, for the Pmar thing, it's whoever they can talk into it that says yes, right? And so I was I was ready to do that, but then I realized I said I'll give it one more year, but it was actually a two-year commitment because of the elect part, right? Uh, but to lead what we do, the Realtor Party isn't a political party. Like Steve, you and I had what half, you know half a dozen deals together, uh, right. and and ethics isn't political. Gaining knowledge of what we're trying to promote here on Masters um, isn't political. We're trying to have people cooperate and collaborate, and we're trying to get people to participate and. Don't sit back and shoot flames at what you don't like. Right. Be part of the solution. Bingo. And it's like, Steve, I didn't know, you know, you were kind of in the independent thing until now. We've had a, a few deals together. Jeff, we did that young president's panel thing and had pizza and beer afterwards, shot the breeze. I didn't know where you stood. Tucker, I, I can guess, but, you know, I, I don't know where you stand. We can still do what we do as ethical, knowledgeable, responsible realtors, and politics doesn't have to come into it. So anyway, it's, it, it is possible to post something on social media or talk to someone on the phone or do a podcast and, and not bring politics in, into it. And it's usually a friendlier conversation, especially if people don't see eye to eye.
1: Yeah. Hey, do you remember what the um the the running mayor for Lake Oswego told us at lunch that day Tucker when we went Well, we let said- me
0: preface this by we actually went to lunch. We had a great lunch, great yeah. conversation. And me and John, the you know, potential future mayor of we have a very big disagreement in the teardown tax. I economically don't believe that it's the right thing to do and also for the real estate market, but I am in the minority, Jeff, so I the people voted that have control and they said that they want to enact the teardown tax. So, so be it. Right. And we went to lunch and we had a great lunch and I like John a lot. But go ahead, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he um, he's independent. And he, he said Lake Oswego. I, I didn't realize this at the time is a purple city. And that makes sense because it's in Oregon. But it's you know, it's an affluent city. So he said, I think with my heart, which is on my left on the left, but my wallet is on my right. And that was he. So he he sees both sides of things. He really tries to he you know, he, he, he tries to be empathetic. To some of the causes of the left, but he sees the the, um, the fiscal components of the right, and he can navigate that. And I just think there there could be so much more room and, and so much more productivity in our country if people were willing to to look at both sides, almost like a buffet, and go, you know, hey, most of the stuff I'm I'm taking from the buffets on this side, but I like a few things over there too. And if if that started, imagine how the dialogue would change and the shouting at each other would change um as people started to look at each other's menus a little bit so we we i'm
2: going to take your bait joe and and let's not talk about politics let's talk about um association leadership and let's talk about rmls and oref and how people can get involved yeah let's
3: do it perfect (laughs) great
2: so um you know local state national association of realtor um so let me just kind of lay out the basic structure of things, right? I mean, most of us know that you're, as a, as a realtor, you're a member of a local estate and a national association, okay? And they work in concert with each other and they all have a different purpose, right? I mean, obviously there's local politics, obviously there's local issues, there's state things that need to be done in governance and that, and then you have the national association of realtors as well. By the way, the national associations is the largest trade association in the country, or one of them, mm-hmm. and has, has a heavy influence. So, to get involved in um, any of the other periphery things like the MLS system or the forms or anything like that. Most of that is done by an appointment of the different entities that own those companies, right? So RMLS is a realtor owned MLS system. It's owned by Portland, uh, East Metro and Clark County Association of Realtors. Okay. So, so those owner, associations get the opportunity to appoint people to serve on the board of directors of RMLS and then from there as a board of director you, you, you get appointed from within or elected from within the board of directors to serve at an executive committee level meaning you become the treasurer or the vice president or the chair of the board or any of those kind of things. Same thing is true for the forms company which is, is owned by three, uh, three associations Oregon Association of Realtors being one of them, and each of those associations appoints people to serve on the board of managers and on the forms committee. So if you wanna be involved, if you wanted to say, well, I you know, I don't like the coming soon no showing uh, policy and I hate it and I wanna change that. Well, it's not just as easy as calling RMLS and saying, hey, I wanna join your board of directors. You gotta get appointed. And who, how are you gonna get appointed? You're gonna get appointed if the people at the local associations who are participant owners of that organization know who you are and respect you and want your voice at their table, right? So, if you want to have the opportunity to shape our industry in those ways, it starts by getting involved at the local association level, whatever your local is, they all have a need for critical thinkers who are willing to give their time and their effort to uh, help the association. So there's lots of different committees that you can get involved in. You're probably not going to make a phone call and all of a sudden uh, be on the executive committee of the association. It's very likely that you would start with a committee level appointment. But there's lots of different committees, education committee, forms committees, uh, political affairs committees, professional standards committees, right? When you make an ethics complaint, a board of your peers a group of your peers has to hear that ethics complaint there's a grievance committee there's a hearing committee there's we need good people to serve in all of those roles so there's lots of opportunity for you to get involved and if you're inclined to do so i would encourage you to reach out to your local realtor association as a starting point find out what their needs are you know determine for yourself what your interests are and they'll be able to guide you to the right place
1: and to the right community. Who would be the person? Like on PMAR, I mean, not you don't have to say a name, but like, I mean, do you call a number? Do you, I mean, if you don't know anyone directly, what, how would you start that process? Yeah, you can just
2: call call the number. You can go to uh, PMAR.org, go to their website, and you'll see, you know, um, most of the associations now have pretty good websites where you can see how the governance works you can see all of their committees and their key committees or their whatever they call them, right? Everyone calls them something a little bit different. Um, that would be a good place to start, but you can also just pick up the phone. And the person who answers it on the other end, if you say, hey, I'm interested in getting involved and I'm a, I'm a member of your association and I want to get involved, who can I talk to? They will direct you. It's as simple awesome. as that. Yeah. Good
1: advice. Good advice. Yeah. So it starts with the, it starts with, for us, I think all four of us belong to PMAR. It starts with PMAR. But then from there, they they it, as that progressed, you could then get directed towards like the, the the forms committee or the the RMLS committee, right? You don't go straight to RMLS and get on their committee, right? Yeah. Yep. Good. Good. Good routing. I didn't understand that before. Yeah. Talk about what those roles do look like, Jeff. When you were you were on um, the RMLS committee when the coming soon no showings did come out, and I know you 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 and I had lots of conversations, and and. Uh, uh, I'm sure you played a role in making sure it was even as, as, as it is now. I mean, that we could have a sign in front that we could, you know, send a coming soon to other agents versus shutting everything down. Um, What talk about some of those roles and your experiences with them. Yeah. So um, the there's
2: task force and there's subcommittees, RMLS has a forms committee. RMLS has a um, professional standards committee and a rules and regulations committee, a technology committee. So when you see um, a new interface like RPR available at the bottom of the agent full report, or um, you know what's the one that we just rolled out, remind, yeah, on and Remind and all of those things. Right? When you see those things happening, there's a lot of work that went into making that happen. It wasn't just you know, the executive officer, as awesome as Kurt is saying, oh, I want to make sure that everybody has Remind. And let's just put it here. No, it goes through a technology committee. There's protocols. They have to vet it and say, is this really a member benefit? Because it may shock you to hear that there's lots of people who would love to have your RMLS data so that they can sell you stuff as a realtor, right? And But there's really no benefit other than that the company that wants to sell you something. So, you know, those requests come in all the time and you want to vet those properly and make sure that RMLS doesn't turn into, uh, you know, you're using it, but everybody's selling you stuff because you're using it. But that's a true member benefit. That's what you're paying for. So, um, the coming soon no showing was a task force, right? That was something that you you can't have 20 or 30 people sitting in a room on a topic that controversial and uh, you're going to be there for a week. With no conclusion, right? What you need is a smaller group of people to say, okay, we need some we need some industry input here. We need people who use this. We need people who are invested on one side of the argument or the other. And Steve, you mentioned the, the reason that you and I talked so much at that time is because I was on the task force. I've never done coming soon as a marketing strategy, but I knew that you did. And so I wanted your input to be able to bring that voice to the table and say, well, here's the other side of it, right? Here's why we shouldn't just shut it down like Northwest MLS does and say, no one can advertise anything anywhere ever at all, right? That's, we're just going to shut it down. Um, and I needed your voice. I needed your input to be able to bring to the table because I didn't have that perspective within myself, right? So, um, that's just you know kind of a sub layer of of the different mechanics behind the scenes but you know any changes to the forms are fully vetted any changes to what we might do with the listing data input form or the listing contractor are fully vetted if we're going to revise the sale agreement in 2015 when i was chair of the forms committee the big task that we did was we took that sale agreement completely apart section by section we had a on the wall in a room we had big big huge posters of the sections of the sale agreement we were literally you know, setting them next to each other and seeing which one fit where and trying to line up all of the contingencies and making sure that if you were going to talk to a seller about financing, it wasn't on page three and page seven and then back to page four and whatever else, that it just flowed, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that was a task force that spent a lot of time and effort behind the That was a big change that year. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. yeah. It was Neither a big change. Yeah. It was a huge And it was a huge time commitment of the people that were on that task force to, to make that happen. But it was good work and and it created, I believe, a very positive result for our industry. I think the sale agreement as it is now is much more user friendly for our agents than it was before. And I'm very proud of that work and the people who participated in making it happen. But to illustrate the importance of getting involved, you never liked the sale agreement and you jump on a Facebook page and complain about how terrible the sale agreement is, fine. But what are you doing about it, right? Because if you aren't willing to do anything about it, shut up. I mean, to be blunt, right? I mean, not, not to be – <laughs> I like honest, it, Jeff.
0: I like it. We got I'm sure yeah, negative yeah.
2: To about it. that. But yeah. listen, honestly, truthfully, if, if you have a legitimate gripe about something and you want it to change, don't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it for you. I mean, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that's the message I'm trying to
1: deliver. Mm-hmm. And we got a comment from A.J. Ratcliffe Crawford. It was a great change. It's been a while. I don't remember all the changes, but I remember at the time thinking these are these are very smart changes. I, I forget some of the specifics of what they were, but yeah.
0: The coming soon got a little sketchy, though, right? Because there was a there was some misuse of it, I think, which is oh why yeah, was so yeah. Important. You know,
1: the coming soon. I was I was I I used it to. We we called it pre-market our listings so that we could you know if you, if you're going live on Friday which was what we usually did um, I wanted that open house being advertised Tuesday Wednesday to the public on Zillow and other sites so I I was not a big fan of the idea of not being able to do that but but I was brought back around once I saw as as it came into effect and I realized it was really shutting down those bad actors that were trying to steal your clients and that were that were never taking it live and there was a lot of them um they've moved on to other tactics by the way including underpricing houses but we won't go there (laughs)
2: well I, i will tell you that you know there
1: was a we deliberated over that for a long
2: time and we had people on both sides of the spectrum from we don't want any of this at all um to leave us alone and let us do whatever the heck we want right don't get in the middle of my business So we had to reconcile those two viewpoints that were completely polar polar opposites from each other. And I really do think that we ended on a good resolution that's fair, that honors the the agent who says, hey, I want the opportunity to drum up initial interest in my listing before it's a live listing, right? I want that ability. I think we've accommodated that. And I think we have also um, heard and uh, dealt with the reality of somebody trying to utilize a coming soon listing to really not cooperate with their peers. And I really think we hit the balance pretty fair on that. And and case in point, now with the new uh, clear cooperation guidelines that the National Association of Realtors just voted on and now we're all living with, um, our coming soon no showing policy is, I think, a landmark in the industry nationwide because it is still compliant with that policy and still allows you as an agent an opportunity to do a coming soon listing and be compliant with NAR's guidelines, and we're one of the only MLSs in the country that has that policy. and And I, I you know, I believe that there are other MLSs throughout the country looking at what we're doing as uh, as a best practice. So,
1: question about that, Jeff? Did when when NAR did did come out with that change? Of, I want to say two months ago or so, give mm-hmm. or take. Did it override anything we were doing locally? Was there any tweak to it that we had to make? I no. Okay. So unaffected.
2: No, no, we were affected because um, we prior to the rollout of the clear cooperation policy, one of the things that we still had was the authorization to exclude form, where you could you as an agent could say my seller doesn't want the property on the MLS but I still want to publish it on Zillow and I still want to put a sign in the ground and I still want to do all of this. You could, up until two months ago, uh, you could exclude your listing fully from the MLS and still publicly market it. The clear cooperation policy said, no, you can't do that. If you're going to market it. to the public within one business day of that public marketing, it has to be in the MLS. That's an NAR policy. It's the it's way that that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. That's it, still is compliant with that. And you still can exclude a property from the MLS. Meaning if your seller says, I don't want it on the MLS. I want a private listing with you, Steve. If somebody in your company wants to sell my listing, or if you have a buyer for my listing, great, but I don't want to sign. I don't want it on Zillow. I don't want it on the MLS. You still can list that property and you still can not exclude it. But if you market it to the public, you have to put it
1: on the MLS. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And we had, and Matt Clay's mentioned that. And there there was that 30 day wait thing that was yeah. there. Yeah. And, yeah, that, and we, so that's all gone. That's all gone. Yeah. yeah. We right. had a lot of complaints about
2: that. We did yeah. that so that people wouldn't continue to use the authorization to exclude as a bypass of the coming soon, no showing. Yeah. So that was why we did it. But yeah, that's all gone now.
1: It yeah. Doesn't matter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I do want to bring this up. Now, now that I think about it, it's it's been an issue that's been brought up on, on the master's group several times, and I, I do think it's out there, and I would be curious. Jeff, you're one of the, the bright minds of our business, and you and I have never talked about this, so let's do it now. uh No
0: better place. Yeah.
1: Purposefully underpricing houses, okay? There is a new trend where people will take a listing, and they'll talk their seller into, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to underprice this $50,000, maybe, maybe more, maybe less. We're going to get 70 people here. You're going to get 20, 30 offers. We're going to bid it up. Um, they tell the seller all the pros of that. Now, of course, the underlying motivation on the part of the agent is the fact that they just want a lead gen machine. They just want, I I, I competed recently with a seller who was talking to another agent about this and she was kind of going, okay, I kind of like some of these points she said and and this was my window into how this this tactic works the agent was saying go away for the weekend this was pre-covid right go away for the weekend go away for a long weekend i will do an open house on thursday friday saturday and sunday right and there will be a line of people out the door and i'm just gonna this. i'm gonna turn your house they didn't say this but i was thinking i'm gonna turn your house into my little branch office with people waiting to come up and, and work with me um so one of the one of the things that I've also noticed that I think becomes incredibly pro- problematic. Obviously, it hurts our industry. There's a lot of buyers who suddenly are looking at a house that they shouldn't be looking at, and it becomes kind of gimmicky. It becomes like a a, a mattress, you know, sales factory with with their their um, gimmicks, because it hurts a lot of people who make offers thinking they they have a chance at the house when they really don't. It also um, it also it creates some of the issues with the coming soon's where now that maybe our buyers are going to that open house and, and being, you know, hard pressed into it. Lastly, and this is probably the biggest issue I see with it. There are times I've seen it in histories of properties where they purposefully underpriced the house. They got an offer for that amount and they didn't accept it. And that to me is really shady. Does Jeff, do you have, have you guys had any conversations about this? I know, I mean, I know you're in a lot of yeah. conversations.
2: Have I only get this call probably two or three times a day. So I, I deal with it a lot. Um, here's, here's the thing. Um, cause the, the, when I get the phone call, it's somebody saying, I want to make an ethics complaint. That's not ethical. They shouldn't be able to do that. So let's, let's talk through, let's get into the weeds and let's talk through it. If, a listing agent goes on and, and illustrates a strategy to a seller and the seller in full compliance knows this is my strategy and I want to embark on this strategy and they sign off on it, then there's nothing wrong with it. Now, there's nothing wrong with it provided that the seller is truly willing to accept an offer on that property I agree that. at the price that it's listed at but I think they're telling them if you get an offer at this price, you don't have to take, take it. Okay. I I hear you. So where it's where you have, you'd have to prove that, right? So if, if you want to make an ethics complaint against an agent who's doing that, a, it would have to be proven that they're, um, negotiating in bad faith, right? That they're not, that they're putting a listing on the market at a price that's not really available at that price right now the, you know, if they put it at that price and they know and they say to a seller, look, you're not going to have to sell it for that price because we're going to get multiple offers. It's going to get marked up. And the seller says, wow, that sounds great to me. Let's do that. Um, then to, you know, ultimately if the seller knows that and says, look at the worst case scenario, I would accept an offer at the price that I'm listing this property at. If we get an offer at that price, I would
1: accept that offer. Totally I would- agree with that. Totally agree with that. Yeah. I don't, I, I here's, here's a thought, Jeff. Um, I don't think that's happening all the time. I really don't. I don't think those sellers are okay with that initial um, offer asking amount. Could there be a way, and I'm looking at this from a solution standpoint, could there be a way in the future, and this is something to think about, I don't know, and I'm spitballing a little bit here. Could there be a form that is part of the listing contract or an addition to the listing contract that says, and I think it might technically be there now, but maybe solidified a little bit, i hereby agree that if an offer comes in at this amount that i'm listing for with you know standard terms 30 day close whatever cuz cuz i get that there, some of the caveats could be well i the, the price was fine but i didn't like the close date or something right. i hereby agree to accept i'm i will you know i hold myself to accept that offer i know i know it's the devils in the details but Never, you're never going to get that.
0: Yeah, um, that's never going to happen. You're never
1: going to be able to
2: force the seller to accept a, a, an offer on their property. Now, um, you know, the listing contract, at least the RMLS listing contract already does say, hey, look, if I, if I bring you an offer upon the terms and conditions of this of this listing agreement and you refuse to sell, you may owe me a commission, right? I mean, I've done my job, right? I executed your listing. I brought you an offer upon terms that were acceptable to you and you just are flat refusing to sell your property. You know, you you may have a cause for um, you may have a cause for an arbitration with that seller on the commission. I don't really want to necessarily dive into the weeds on that on on this forum, but um, I would say, in regard to the practice of it, and and how do you deal with it? I mean, first of all, we have to acknowledge that there's multiple ways to do our business, and you know we can't restrain trade in any way that anybody wants to do business. But we do need to do business ethically with each other we do need to follow the rmls rules and regulations the code of ethics and the oregon statutes and uh, uh, related rules for our industry right so if there is a violation of any one of those things then it just takes somebody with the willingness to exert to, to exert the time and be willing to have the guts to make the complaint and chase it down and follow it through and and here's what comes to me at the end of the day is people saying, well, I, I really do think I can prove that this is an ethics complaint. And I say, great, then make one. But if you're calling me to complain, expecting me to go make your ethics complaint for you, I'm busy, like I got other stuff to do, right? I, and it's not affecting my life, right? So if, if you have a legitimate ethics complaint to make, or if you feel that somebody's doing something that is the violation of the code of ethics or the RMLS rules and regulations, or the statutes and related rules for our industry, you should take the effort and the energy to follow that through and make the formal complaint and see it through. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and that's what I would say is what I, unfortunately what happens is people will call other people to complain, but then, but then they don't want to make the complaint because they're going to have to put their name to it. And they don't want somebody to be mad at them or they don't want somebody to re, retaliate against them or, or whatever. Steve,
0: mm-hmm. here's a, here's a th- scenario for you because I've seen it, mainly one way, right? And that one way would be investment grade product, right? A lot of times investment grade product, a lot of times, but more than the retail grade product, I've seen that investment grade product put to market at an underpriced price point, right? And then that brings out your professional house flippers, your builders, your DIY house flippers, your HGTV wannabe house It brings out all these people, right? And then you get a whole bunch of offers some of which are just people trying to buy attention. Some of which are legitimate buyers. Some are in the middle. It's all over the place, right? And then it's the listing agent's job to figure out what's real, what's not, and what's worth pursuing. But do you see it on retail stuff as yeah. much as? Okay, it's so you happening are right.
1: more and more. It's happening more and more. And um, and I, and I well, think what I, more than anything, Jeff, I think this is the next frontier of coming soon challenges you know you guys did such a great job a few years ago of dealing with the coming soon and the the bad actors there i think this is the next frontier of bad actors where they're gravitating towards that and i i have to tell you i really truly in my heart of hearts believe they're hurting our industry there yeah. are there are innocent buyers being harmed with this there's innocent agents being harmed with this because they're they're buyers going go get me that house go get me that house that's crazy. Yeah. Let me just tell you, it's not new.
2: If you were selling properties in 2008 through 2010 during short sales, it's this- yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Short sales got ugly because people list them and then nobody pick up their phone and you can't get a hold of them. But that's because they were an inside job, by the way. Uh, so, you know, short sales is an ugly inside <laughs> of business. But but same yeah. thing.
2: I mean, people yeah. were people were putting a, a short sale house on the market significantly under the real market value because. They wanted to get an offer to the table that they could submit to the lien holder to stop the foreclosure sale, right? So you had properties being dramatically underpriced uh, throughout that time period too. And when the, when the market dynamics change, those practices changed. There's always bad actors, Steve, you know that. I mean, yeah, just the yeah. way that it is. And right now we have a scarcity of inventory. So, you know, people are gonna play on that. They're gonna find ways that they can to take advantage of that uh, for their own personal gain and their own benefit. You know, hopefully the agents that are involved in that are doing what they should be doing according to their license and their their code and putting their clients' interests first. And I think if every agent that's listening to this is doing that, the frequency of what you're talking about will be fewer and fewer.
0: You know, the other thing too, is that this is pretty, uh, Jessica Spanos put a comment on here that it's established practice in California. I know it's also established up in the Seattle area. Like I know a lot of people up there that, you know, sold for 200 K over, right. Or something like that. I mean, I hear that all the time. So I do know that in other markets, it's, it is an established practice. It's the way that people have been doing things. And then realtors and buyers just kind of adjust their expectations based on that becoming more of the norm. So, you know, there is that side of it too.
2: Well, and the other thing too, you know, the, the other risk side of it is to a seller who doesn't get the offer they're expecting, right? Maybe the market's starting to change in the middle of that strategy and you don't bring an offer to the table for the seller that matches what they expected as a minimum and they feel compelled to sell their house on, at, a, at a price lower than what they really thought it was worth. That's a that's a situation that I will just tell you that I never want any of our agents to be in free and o liability, right? So...
1: Um, two things, Tucker. I mean, just because something an established practice somewhere doesn't mean it's right. I mean, coming soon was being, 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 um, misused misused <laughs> a lot of places and now it's been addressed by NAR. Second thing I'd say is I, I don't see a problem with it as long as the seller's willing to take that price. And that needs, that's the defining line. If the seller's willing to get one offer at that amount and go, yeah, okay. I thought I was going to get more, but I'll take this. Then I think it's totally legit. When you start putting stuff on the market at a, at a BS price, That's, that's not, that shouldn't be a standard.
0: But I mean, how many times are they really going to have to take that price? I mean, the whole idea is the price is so low. There's no way in hell you're going to take that price. Right. So, I mean, I agree with you. They, they should be willing to, but in reality, I don't think they would ever have to. So it's kind of a tough thing to to prove, right? It is tough.
2: That is the challenge. Yeah. One point about it that I've heard and, and, you know, kind of a, a devil in the detail of it is you know, a listing that's underpriced sits on the market there, you know, you know, because you, you presented an offer on the property well over asking and you were told there's 30 offers on the table and then none of those offers are accepted and that property stays on the market for another three or four months. Right. then, Then the question is, is that property really available for sale at the purchase price? Because you can prove I actually submitted an offer from my client over that, over that listed price. And it was rejected or not responded to so the question that i have and is it a violation then of rmls rules and regulations for you to be advertising a property that's really not available at the price that it's being advertised at, and you can prove that that may be something worth somebody pursuing who has the time and energy to do it and that right? would be an ethics situation is that right it would be, yeah. an, RMLS, it would be an rmls rules and regulations violation it would probably would okay. also be an ethics complaint too but it would be an rmls rules and regulations
1: violation to start yeah, that's good to know. That's good to know. Hey, let's move on, guys. We, we got to let Jeff go. He's having lunch with Kurt Von Wasmuth today um, after hey, this, let's, show. Let's, let's talk about market board. then, huh? Let's yeah. talk about the market. We got a March in Action, Market Actions Report. Jeff, tell us your, your thoughts on it. Yeah,
2: um, you know, it's interesting because when we first started into the pandemic, um, I listened to a, a webinar with Lawrence Yoon, who's the chief economist for NAR, and, and he said, you know, we, this is going to be a V shaped reality market dynamic right v-shaped recovery a deep valley you know a quick recovery and i picked up on that that's what i've been saying all of the agents in our company and what i've been telling my clients and i think that's really what we're starting to see i don't know about you guys but i am so busy and i see (laughs) that in the transaction count from most of the agents within our company there's certainly some who who aren't and and who are you know having hard times financially as a result but a lot of agents are, are busier than they expected to be and, and the data from RMLS shows that, right? What you saw was about a 30% decline in, in new listings being taken and about a 30% decline in closed sales, but in, an increase over prior year in pending transactions, right? So the, the monthly inventory is still 2.3, right? Which is low, but it's not significantly different than it's been for the last two years, right? It's been two to two and a half for I don't know how many years now, right? But... Uh, That's just because that inventory is a reflective of the current rate of sales, closed sales, right? So the closed sales dropped by 30%. The new listing inventory dropped by 30%. No shock and awe on the math there that the inventory level stayed pretty consistent. But that doesn't account for the pig and the python of all of these pending sales that are above prior year and the impact when they close that they're going to have on that lower inventory level. So you know, I'm not a mathematician, but but I anticipate when we look at the numbers that come out for June in the month of July, we're going to see that inventory come down quite a bit because of those pending sales that are that are you know going through the process right now and will close and will increase the rate of sales with a de- decreased inventory
1: level.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Brian Belair's had a great post on Masters about the the uh, market action. One of my comments was. Um, you see in the month of May, pending sales was really, and, and that's a forward indicator. That's what's going to close in June, right? Like you said, Jeff, I mean, that, the, the, the closed sales in May was down, but the pendings were almost flat year over year. They're technically down 5.5%, which isn't a big drop, right? Yet the, the new listings was down 30%. So you have about the same amount of buyers in May as you did the year before yet you have 30% less sellers. And I think that speaks to the fact that there's a lot of sellers out there who might otherwise have wanted to move, but they're like, hmm, maybe this isn't the year to, to do so. And, and what comes to mind, and this is actually an experience I'm seeing and feeling, you know, the guys who were um, quarantined in a tiny house with no office and kids stacked on top of each other, they're like, screw it, let's get out there and buy a house. The people, the grandparents, who maybe are in the 4,000 square foot house with a big backyard, who probably would have downsized this year, they're going, maybe this isn't the year to downsize, let's keep this thing off the market, let's keep the randos out of my house, and maybe next year we'll do it, or the year after. So that's where I think you're seeing the the, the inventory numbers down, or the, the, the new listings down. Is some of those people who are maybe they're comfortable with their house they'd like something smaller but they're going maybe this isn't the right time to do that.
2: you know let's focus on the opportunity side of this right you've just had a bunch of people uh, sheltering in place in their homes for about three months I think we're gonna have a baby boom in December of this year and I think a bunch
1: <laughs> of people they're gonna need
2: to buy bigger houses
1: that's my projection Yeah. Yeah. And there are people that have um, pinup demand as well as new demand because they have intimately become aware and familiar with their house. And they're like, I just need something different. Um, It'll be interesting to see. I agree with you, Jeff. I think we're all busier than I'm I'm having probably my record, June. I think you said the same, Joe. I mean, you're pretty busy, right? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if this is just a, a surge going into the winter and then, you know, people trying to position themselves in case there's some kind of new spike in, in COVID or, or some kind of new stay home order, or if this will, you know, continue, continue forward. But either way, I think we can all agree that housing has been closer to the winning side of the equation with this whole coronavirus than, you know, a lot of other industries, fortunately for us.
0: It yeah. looks pretty good right about now. Um, better than I would have guessed 60 days ago. That's pretty yeah.
2: yeah yeah I, I agree with that 100 percent. Our industry has done uh, has been fortunate for sure, and you know while I know that there's probably agents who might be listening to this who aren't experiencing that reality and who are struggling, I would say on average, as an industry, you know, we've done very well, and we've been extremely fortunate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Awesome. Well Jeff, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank um, for having me. And, uh, any final words
0: for anybody? I think it was a good show. I think we talked yeah. about some good stuff. We rabbit hold yeah. on some topics that I'm glad we, we, uh, uncovered and, uh, aired out, but, uh, I think it was a good overall theme today. So
1: thank you, Jeff, for all you do for our, not only our company, but our entire industry. We really appreciate you. And there couldn't be a, a, a better person to take the helm of OAR here in two years. And, uh, we're, we're proud to have you there. Thank
2: you. I appreciate it. And for anybody that's watching or listening, I really would encourage you to get involved and uh, I hope you'll uh, take me up on that. So thank you very much.
0: Perfect. All right, guys, thanks for watching. We'll be back next week. I think we got Mr. Kurt himself uh, from RMLS, but uh, we'll see you guys then. Thanks for watching.